Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR 360. I'm your host, Brett Dice. If you could please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week, I have Ira Gostin with, with me, and he is a marketer, communicator, entrepreneur, and storyteller who thrives with creating company growth opportunities also with strategic investor relations communication marketing campaigns to help them move the needle and he has created and sold agencies so he knows what he's talking about we're happy to have him on the show so welcome to the show ira hi thanks great to be here and the first question i ask all my guests is are you a coffee or tea drinker absolute coffee drinker black love it maybe in the Maybe in the afternoon, I might have a little cappuccino once in a while, or but uh, um, def- definitely uh, like strong, bold coffee from all over the world. Ah, yes, tasting stuff all over the world does give you kind of a understanding of how coffee is made and how good it can be and how terrible it can be at the same time. Definitely, no, I, I enjoy it and have grind my coffee every morning, my beans, and uh, try to cut back a little bit, but I uh, usually have a nice coffee in the afternoon. So definitely a coffee drinker no worries i am too but i was a barista so there's a reason why i'm a coffee drinker myself <laughs> so was i i worked at starbucks when i was in grad school at 45 I, I needed the benefits when i changed careers and fell into an opportunity so got to go through the starbucks management program and became a coffee master and it was pretty exciting i loved it nice yeah i just did an independent small little one we just had Stumptown for coffee. So Stumptown's actually really good, but they bought by Pete's. So they're, they're still pretty good, actually, to be honest with you. Pete's is good coffee. And, and we have a place here in Reno that uh, serves Stumptown or did, I think. I think they're gone, but uh, it was good coffee. But anyways, moving on from the coffee, I mean, we could talk about it all day, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but can you give a brief description of your expertise? I gave a little bit about who you are, but can you give a little bit more? Yeah, so um, my career started as a photojournalist for the Associated Press, and my school education was first journalism, and really uh, spent a lot of time perfecting that storytelling craft through the visual side. And come uh, end of the 90s, uh, I was doing annual report work and working with uh, CFOs and on annual reports, and journalism is cha- was changing, and and I, I realized that I, I wanted more and decided to go to grad school and get my MBA. And at that point, worked at Starbucks. And then uh, when I got my MBA, I moved into marketing and had, you know, marketing manager, sales and marketing manager, director of marketing, kind of worked my way up and had an opportunity to be on the ground floor of a publicly traded uh, mining company and helped build the company from scratch and then took over the investor relations and really kind of backed into the PR side of it through IR. Kind of a move forward from there. And um, I had an agency that we sold and I went to go work for another agency and finally kind of went back out on my own and, and GH Strategies is 
is that company now. And we pretty much only work in the industrial spaces. So we work with mining companies, industrial manufacturing, tech, and healthcare. And really just kind of love those sectors and love specializing in those areas. Gotcha. And I mean, we're going to be mostly talking about that as investors relations, because it's one of those things where I think a lot of PR people know about, but it's kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is really complicated. You got the SEC, you got everything else. But what are some of the pitfalls that PR pros should avoid when doing some strategic investor relations? If you've got a client where you're doing PR and they want you to kind of move into the IR side a little bit, I'm a member of the Public Relations Society of America, PRSA. I'm also a member of NERI, the National Investor Relations Institute. And I really recommend they have like a two-day boot camp about IR. And I recommend doing that before you start working in it because there's a lot of regulations. There's, there's no PR cops. There are IR cops and they're called the SEC and they have guns and badges and jail cells. And so... <laughs> Uh, you need to have a bit of an understanding of how all that works. And you'll see there, there are two primary camps that IR people come from. They either come out of the financial world where they're on their way to being a CFO and they're kind of checking a box. So they might be certified financial analysts or have a degree in finance. And, and then there's a few of us that come from the communications side and I think, you know, you can learn the math, but you have to have a feel for how to communicate and how to engage with your customers. And in a publicly traded company, your customer is that shareholder. I mean, even going on from that is that shareholders have actually changed over the years because now you have, for example, people using Robinhood, you just have ordinary people just buying into stocks. So how do you communicate to all those investors relations? I get it that the one person that owns a stock, you don't care about as much, but you still got to communicate to them. So how do you change that tactic since there are so many more investors than there were, I'd probably say 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah. You know, even three or four years ago. So th there's two basic designations. There's institutional shareholders and they're the big uh, brokerages or um, you have all these stakeholders and, and then you have retail, and that's the individual shareholders like me and you that own some stock. And um, the way to communicate to them is just that, have a conversation. And um, it's, uh, you know, in the mining space, retail is really important because a re retail shareholder looks at things a little bit differently than an institution does. They have different KPIs that they want for performance. And so when you combine all that together, it adds liquidity of the stock, it helps the share price appreciate, and it helps move the company forward on the market. Um, you want a healthy mix. You don't want 90% institutional. You want a 50-50 or 60-40 split. And you basically create campaigns for communications. So you might go to a show and do a, a retail show and do a presentation and hold a call and not just the requirements. And so everything that we do, even on the PR side is strategic engagement. It's, it's how are we connecting with those stakeholders? And so we do stakeholder mapping and we've actually borrowed a lot of the tactics from the 
corporate social responsibility world and how they deal with stakeholders. And uh, it's been really successful for us. Gotcha. And I mean, even going on to like, let's say some high profile blunders, because if most of you don't know, Activision Blizzard has kind of been in the terrible limelight of a lot of litigation, which has kind of counteracted into investors dropping off, them trying to save face and trying to keep, I guess, their stock prices up, but also keep their investors happy, but also trying to face this really bad news of sexual harassment and everything else that's been going on within the company. So how do, should you add part of this as a crisis to your crisis plan or just make a whole new crisis plan for something like this? Because it seems like this stuff is happening more often than usual and it's not looking good for a lot of companies. Yeah. If, if you're a publicly traded company and you don't have a expert in crisis on standby, you're making a mistake and, you, and you're going to get burned for it. And there are, CEOs that tweet things they shouldn't tweet. There are people that say things they shouldn't say. There, there's rules about all of the communications. And you have to be ready. And, and even a company that you're describing that's got fairly positive attitude, you have to be communicating regularly to your shareholders and letting them know that you've identified an issue that being dealt with. And here's how we see the outcome going to be. And say all that within the confines of forward-looking statements. We anticipate having this fixed by such and such date. We plan to do this. And you you can't say things that can get you your hands slapped later on down the road. So it's, it's a factor. And their companies come into crisis. I've got a manufacturing client right now that hadn't even thought about crisis at the time where they start to ship. And right now they're in development and, but they'll get to a point where they're selling product and they're shipping and you have to be prepared for that backlash of this person bought the product and is complaining and this happened or this happened. What happens at a mining company where you have a disaster or could be a a natural disaster. It could be a man-made disaster. You have to be ready to implement those things. And I've been part of a couple of those. Thank goodness that we were able to react and respond. One of them, we didn't react as fast as we should have, and they stopped trading our stock. And that's a bad thing. And it's a good learning lesson, hindsight, but you want to be prepared for all these things. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately for Activision Blizzard, they actually didn't do the great things in the beginning. So let me fill you in. They, California is actually suing them through a lawsuit, but also they said that this was ridiculous. They kind of went a little bit more aggressive. And then one of their female executives said that this was all a lie. And it just became like a catastrophe in the beginning. So, I mean, how do PR pros handle that? If, like you said, executives a little go, go off the rails, even during a crisis, how do you get ba- back on where you can somewhat mitigate the damage already done? I think that you have to be transparent and, and people make mistakes. So if you try to hide it in corporate speak, it's just, you're not going to win. If you put out a press release and that executive said, I made a mistake, uh, I shouldn't have handled it this way. I'm sorry if that hurt anybody. And here's how we're going to fix this going forward. It's like anything else in life. I mean, it holds a lot of weight where you can kind of mea culpa and move forward. Mm -hmm. 
And has the pandemic changed any tactics or strategies when it comes to investors relations since the pandemic has changed everything? I mean, mine was changed this a little bit too. Sure. I think the touch points are different. Marketing, we use that word touch point every time that we somehow our brand touches a, a potential customer or a client. And so when you can put out somebody in public and the uh, public can meet the CEO or talk to them or shake their hand, it lasts longer. So when you move that to Zoom, it's still positive, but it's short-lived. So you have to do more uh, engagement and you have to talk a little bit more and maybe a newsletter and talk about some of the things that are going on with the company that, that have nothing to do with the trading or the product. Um, we have a mining company that, you know, we're talking about uh, employees and they hired somebody with some different experience or what things they're doing in the community or what the jurisdiction is like. So those are non-material things that we can have those conversations about on social media and keep talking about the company and, and let people know that, yes, the, the share price and the stock is important, but here's all the other things that we're about and, and let your CEO be known and, and let their personality come through. Gotcha. And then when it comes to like content, I know it's very difficult or it's very, there's a lot of rules into content. So is there anything that you, that PR people can do as content wise for their investors? I know it, ha it has to be within SEC guidelines, but is there anything new coming up? Is there anything they can do like pictures, like live streaming, like you said before, other than their annual reporting or their quarter reportings, anything like that? Can they do anything else for that? Yeah. I mean, video, I'd love to get all my clients onto video news releases where they're putting out two minute date every month and newsletters are still good. Social media is good, but the SEC has said that social media is a form of disclosure. So you've got to be careful and, and you've got to make sure that you're following the disclosure laws. And if you work for XYZ Co and your CEO had a meeting with a potential huge shareholder, you can't put that on social. You can't report on things that might be in play. But there's lots of other stuff to talk about. There, every company has a heart and soul of employees and the team and, and what they do and how they work in their community. And there's all kinds of stuff to talk about and content and stories to tell. And, and that's really what you're trying to do is tell the stories of your company through a bunch of smaller stories that you can engage with your shareholders on. So basically when you're doing anything important, just be careful about what you tweet out. Don't be Elon Musk and tweet too much out. Be careful. The fines are extensive. Gotcha. And what does the future look like for investors relation? Does it look like more content wise? Does it look like more going into like audio spaces like clubhouse or podcasting? Does it look like uh, getting more into video, like you said, like, what does it look like? Yes, <laughs> all of the above. I, I think that podcasting is going to be, uh, we've got companies we're constantly looking for places to get our various CEO clients on. It's another way for them to engage with, with clients. Um, I think Clubhouse is coming along. It's certainly a way for you to establish your company as a thought leader in a specific sector. I think video is huge. I think you're going to see more and more companies talking about ESG. ESG is the environmental social governance side. So it's 
people, and especially the, as retail shareholders become more and more powerful, they're concerned about that. So the mining space where I work, do a lot of work in, people want to know about jurisdictions. Is it a friendly jurisdiction? Do they like the fact that there's mining going on? Is it safe? All of these things are conversations that one can have that are step aside of the material disclosure. They're just stories about the company. So I think you're going to see all that stuff become more and more prevalent as things go. And even like talking about that, like the environmental side, or at least the social side of investor relations, how important is it for companies to stay on top of that right now? Because like you said, the retail investors are becoming a little bit more popular as Robinhood and everything else has kind of helped ordinary people invest. So how important is it to stay on top of that? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. And I, I think that you can't just ignore that. You can't just look at quarterly earnings and you can't just look at products at the door. You've got to look at the big picture and what's your carbon footprint. And even at the point where I was on staff at a mining company, uh, you know, that ended in 2007, I was starting to get those questions and um, the sustainability indexes. And so I think all those things are super important and people want to know how, what kind of a global citizen their, their shareholders are or their shareholdings are. And even from, let's say just a product side of it, how has like the shortages, shortages everywhere. I call 2021 the shortage year because everything's in a shortage. How can PR pros actually manage that part about it? Because I'm pretty sure the investors want to know how much you're selling and like the product pipeline and all that stuff. But if you can't get product in to sell, how are they going to message this into a positive thing? Because investors, especially the sh people that short are like, ah, I'm going to short this really quick because you guys aren't selling very much. So how do you mitigate that part too? Because it seems like it's all over the place with shortages. Yeah. The, I think it's just transparency. The um, just a, a little, uh, little tiny things. I was recently in Boston and I was, my wife and I were at a restaurant and the waitress came over and, and brought us our drinks and said, there's two items on the menu that I'm very sorry to say that we don't have tonight. Like other companies, we're experiencing some distribution issues, and I hope there's something else on the menu that you'd like. It was rehearsed, and it was written, and it was sincere and honest, and we didn't care. Like, fine, there's plenty of other food to order. If you're known for that one thing and you can't offer that one thing, you probably should do a little bit of PR. If you're, you know, remember when nobody could get hand sanitizer and or Clorox wipes, the, those companies struggled with talking about the distribution and you, you have to just be straight, you know, straightforward and honest about it and turn it towards our teams in the U.S. Or, you know, we employ 3000 people and we've added extra shifts and we're, we're putting paying overtime to get people to get the product made and please don't hoard put out a call to people to, that you don't need 10 cases of paper towels or toilet paper in your house there's going to be plenty for everybody they have to get out there and be proactive the chip shortage for cars is comes to mind because no one can make cars right yeah i, I have a friend who just sold her four-year-old car for like 10 percent less than she bought it for and because it was it was, it's a popular model, whatever it was. And they knew they could sell that because they can't get new versions of it. So, and 
I'll be honest, from what I understand, and I, I'm not an expert in this, but the auto manufacturers were kind of told, hey, the gaming consoles are pulling, they're buying more and more. Do you guys need to hold, do we need to lock in some sales for this? And they've kind of passed on it. So I, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but everybody's stuck at home. There's a lot of gaming consoles getting shipped on uh, Amazon. So it's weird how these things ebb and flow. And if you're in a, a work for a company and your or your client is a company that's doing this, you have some research to do. You need to understand what's going on out there. What's the trucking or what's the trains or the ships or how does your client's stuff get to market? You need to be aware of that. Yeah. And it comes to mind about the inflation because that's becoming an ugly Thing going on so we've had shortages and now we have inflation coming to just about everything so how can you even talk about that because we talk about inflation everybody goes a oh, higher price is great how am i going to afford this type of a thing so how can you message that well enough where it's like look at we don't want to do this but we have to do this because of this yeah hey the examples are mostly in small business i think big companies they have maybe a little bit better plan. Small businesses, the guy, I, you know, on social media, there's a local restaurant that serves like a Philly cheesesteak. And somebody complained that they seem to be skimpier than they used to be. And he said, my team, we have to weigh them out now because, you know, the, the price of the beef has gone up so high between the gas from trucking the cows and the cost of beef. Like our, we're trying not to raise our prices, but we've we've had to start weighing the sandwiches. We used to just give you a nice big healthy serving and call it good, and we can't do that anymore. But he wrote a really nice, well thought out post that you know I don't know if it changed anybody's minds or not. And so companies need to look at that. It's like, do you need to make a statement? Do you need to talk about your people or um, you know what it takes to get something to market and all the things that how many people touch a product as before it gets to your grocery store kind of thing. I think all those stories help the company tell its big picture story. Got you. And then fun question for you. If you could bring together a dream team for investors relations, who would you hire? Well, let me put it this way. It won't, wouldn't be so much as who I would hire. It would be as what their background is. So I would have a clinical psychologist. I would have a creative director, solid, solid PR writer, and a project manager with a background in design thinking. And I use vendors like that now and then, and, and, but, but to have them all on staff ready to tackle an issue, you've got the, the design thinking persons going to look at it from that customer-centric point of view and the, how does empathy play into it? And the clinical psychologist is going to look at how do we engage the human behavior piece of it. And the creative director is going to like, what's the best way to present this? And the PR writer is going to tell that story. So yeah, boy, if anybody wants to put a team like that together, reach out to me because uh, I, I want to do that. Not practical, but it'd be fun as heck. <laughs> All right. If you have the time and the money to do that, <laughs> contact Ira and he'll join your team. Absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? Tell your story. It's, I don't care if you're in PR, IR, marketing, or advertising. We're all about telling stories. 
And the success of business is communicating that story and have fun with it. It, it costs nothing to practice, rehearse, and craft your story so that people can understand really what you do and what you're about. And storytelling is just an awesome place to be for business. All right. Thank you, Ira, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge on investor relations and everything else. Thanks, Brett. Glad to be here. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music Review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Tell your story. If you're in investor relations, just beef up on some of the knowledge and see you next week. Later.